met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to an episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee. And for tonight, it's a true honour indeed to be welcoming back um, a truly fascinating uh, individual who I spoke to uh, recently, uh, along with Sir Sean Williamson, uh, Questus author Sean Williamson, I stand corrected. Um, Mohican Nation elder Sir Wayne Murphy. Now then, Wayne. Hey, General, how are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. And yourself? If I got any better, General, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> and for tonight, uh, we've also got uh, another member of Team Templars North America, and that's Ken Pisa. He's one of the archivists and researchers. Uh, now then, Ken, mate. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Good, thanks. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, it is. Uh, I already know it's going to be a fascinating conversation. So, uh, before we begin, Ken, would you like to let everybody know a little bit about yourself? Oh, um, I guess I, I grew up kind of normal, pretty active life as a kid. I spent time on farms and hunting and fishing. Uh, most of my background is in the construction trades, mostly houses, smaller businesses. But I've done a variety of things through the years, and I got this general desire to learn things. Okay. It's kind. Of, I guess that's kind of led me to TTNA through the years. Um, yeah. Yeah, the little puzzles we try and solve and helping other people, finding what they're looking for. So about a year ago, I was finishing up on another project I was working on. And uh, I, I found Wayne because that other project led me through um, the Templar thing, which I had no understanding of. And uh, I liked Wayne's site, so I started posting on there quite a bit. And uh, I don't know, Wayne and I reach out to each other, ask questions, answer questions, and through the process, step by step, I ended up where I am right now, pretty deep into this. Yeah, yeah. I think what, what what's most fascinating to me is that um, the discoveries, like what Wayne's found uh, pretty recently, you just wouldn't have expected that. Oh. The list is, it gets longer every week. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. I mean, we've barely scratched the surface, Wayne. Uh, 
we uh, Ken, Ken um, you know, when Ken and I are a researcher and Ken, he, he likes to bounce a lot of ideas off and he's made some great discoveries in the last, oh, last six months. Oh, nice. Um, he's able to tie in loose ends and, and things like that. And, and just in the last two weeks, <clears throat> on our last show, we were, we were talking about trade items. Um, yeah. You know, it's one thing when you, when you have a site like in Wisconsin with the, what we refer to as the tomb and then the possible building sites and then graffiti carved in rock. You know, you can never really be 100% sure about that until you get an expert like Sean Williamson to come in and evaluate those sites. And one has to remember, you, you got these physical, you got the physical evidence here. And you got to wonder why would someone come here? Um, Sean and I kind of touched on it a little bit that the Templars, besides fleeing uh, per persecution, they had access to many documents and um, wealth and treasure that was buried under the Temple vault in Jerusalem when they fled the La Rochelle in 1307. Yeah. And they went to various parts of the world, Scotland, you know, down, down, down further and Peru and things like that. But then as the pressure increased on them, um, Rosalind Chapel, they, they were a big part of Rosalind Chapel where Sean had worked for a while in uh, assisting um, uh, Mr. Sinclair in his research and, and then Sean, he stayed at Rosalind Chapel and, and had access to all of those records. Well, he actually um, was able to um, get the works of Andrew Sinclair when Andrew passed. So that's a lot of information we were sitting on. And where, where Ken comes in is that we started discussing how you, you gotta have a reason to come to the new world and those travelers um, would have been the Vikings. Um, the way it appears that they were depleting a lot of their natural resources and everything. So they started expanding out. Very good on the cities and very good at exploration. And did they do some raiding? Yes. Um, I had talked with another uh, a great researcher, uh, Hamilton White and um, Carl Cookson. They, we both talk quite a bit, Hamilton. He is uh, the owner of the Tomar Horde. He probably has, I think, the largest personal collection of uh, Templar artifacts in Europe. Really? Besides an, well, a museum, yeah. Um, Hamilton is, is, is very knowledgeable and we talk quite a bit. And one of the things that we had to do, we had to backtrack this and make it as simple as possible. Why would the Vikings want to travel so far? So, what we decided to do is look at the most simplistic reason to come here, and that's natural resources. So we started tracking the types of resources that the Vikings were known to use. And um, we started tracking them back to the New World. Ken, why don't you give the general a little overview of some of the objects that we were looking into and how we were able, oh, yes, able to ascertain that the Vikings were involved? Oh. Where would you like me to start? The things that we've looked at from plants, pearls, ivory, different have, sorts of birds. 
everything, please, guys. I mean, we've followed 20 or 30 <laughs> leads that we know are dead ends. Yeah. We look at other people's theories, but not not their information, just their general theory, like were there horses in the United in in North America? We follow up on that. We take it as far as we can, and our minds are always open in case something new comes up. Yeah, yeah. I guess we we find in uh, more and more discoveries. It's um, it's just constantly changing. Yeah, but the amazing part is when you go and look at a document from some professional 50 or 100 years ago and you find a link to something else or you find reference to something you've already looked into. Um, pearls are one that we haven't connected truly yet. We know it's there. Currently, they're doing testing on pearls. They're, they're able to determine the origin. And with uh, all the travel and, and trade from, I don't know, from the Vikings, from 11, or from 900 forward, there's hundreds of years of travel to Greenland. There was a lot of interaction and trade, I would assume. I suspect someday they're gonna find pearls that are documented in Europe or England, documented before 1492, and when they test them, they're going to discover that they came from North America. That hasn't happened yet. That's one of our dead ends. Uh, is, would this be the freshwater fields, Wade? Yeah, we're looking at those. Um, we found a, um, a certain area as you come around, um, as, you, as you leave Greenland and go, go west. Um, I have a little visitor, my granddaughter. <laughs> so she's, she's curious to what uh, what Papa's doing here. So just give me a second. No problem. So, no as you go west, as you go west of uh, Greenland, and, and um, you run into the. Um, I'm, for some reason, I, I can't help me out. What's the name of that large island we were looking at? That oh, um, I don't know. There's three or four yeah. of them there. Yeah, You're the largest one there. The large island directly um, west, west of Greenland. Of, uh, Greenland. Okay. Yeah, um, it escapes me. I guess we got so much information. It's it gets a little yeah, a little overwhelming at times. It's right off the Hudson Strait and as it enters into the Hudson Bay area. Yeah. Baffin Island. Blank. Baffin Island, Wayne. There we go. So this Baffin Island, we uh, we started looking at that because of the longitude, the way it lays. If if you look at this lower end of Baffin Island, and then you look at the lower point of Greenland. And there's just for a town in reference in Norway, it's called Mosjoen. It lies on the 66 longitude of a line. It's, it's almost straight across from each other. And What's once you get the lower. I'm sorry? What was that called again, please, Wayne? 
in Norway, it's it's spelled M O S J O E N. It lies on sixty six. Yeah, M O S J O E N. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Oh no problem, General. And if you look at that, it it, it it's on a sixty almost on a sixty six longitudinal line, and from there you could just touch the tip of Greenland and go right into Baffin Island, and on that Baffin Island is kind of the entrance into the the Hudson Bay area. Yeah. So we start we start looking at what's there, and there's a certain bay on Gava Bay, and that bay contains, oh my gosh, just so many natural resources. Ken, why don't you give the general just a, uh, an idea of some of the things we're looking at in Ngapa Bay, if you would, please. Okay. Um, so Baffin Island is a large island north, Wayne, but there's a small island. It's spelled A-K-P-A-T-U-K, Apatuk, I believe. And it fits, it yep. fits descriptions in the sagas with the the high volume of birds. It's a bird sanctuary, birds, eggs, a particular species of bird that we're following up on. Um, it's kind of a, a desolate rocky area, but the natural resources in that area are, are overwhelming from seals and whales, walrus, uh, the high quantity of, of birds in that area. There's pearls in that area, uh, caribou on the land. How is uh, yeah, there's there's caribou on the land. So anybody in that area would would not suffer for food. Yeah, it sounds like a, a proper hotbed, doesn't it? With like all the different wildlife. Yeah. 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 They thrive it. And and amazingly, once once we followed up on on our leads on, on our subjects and we got into this island are into this bay and island. Um, it's amazing the references we've found since. It, it suits the description in the sagas. And there are other researchers who have mentioned this area in the past and we're stumbling over their articles. It, it just seems overwhelmingly. Yeah, like, uh coincidences i don't think so i think i think it's probably highly likely that it's a, a high significant area yes but when they're well when they're go ahead, go ahead Ken. i was just going to say when they're doing archaeological digs and and we can find these reports or even summaries of these reports and one in particular Right in Kiev, they did a, a dig a while back and they dated an artifact to somewhere between 1000 and 1100. And, and through DNA, they proved it came from this bay or, or one of these two bays. Really? Yes. So how did, how did a particular artifact that can be DNA tested confirmed to come from either the Hudson Bay or Ugamba Bay, end up in Ukraine, in Kiev, <laughs> yeah. back in the year, back in the yeah. year 1100. 
is that simply through trade, we can assume not one person traveled a direct route, but that definitely shows trade. Well, what else could it be? I, I'm not sure. Um, well, well, the other so, thing too, the other thing yeah. that, let me interrupt Ken. One of the things too, by proving trade, um, people always tell me, oh, you can't prove that the Templars ever came to Wisconsin. Well, let's look at a homicide scene. You got the dead body, but our dead body's like 800 years old. Yeah. So it's pretty tough to find out who they were with 24, 48 hours ago. So we have to go back 700 years. So the most logical thing is, look, why would you came here in the first place? And that's the trade items. You have to have a reason for coming here than a reason for going further. So then what Ken and I did, we we would look at these archaeology reports yeah. and find out what they were finding. And most of the time, they just dead-ended. They just stopped. It seemed like either they didn't want you to know the results of their testing, or they just assumed through um, academia that they knew it all, and this was the end-all to be-all. But we looked at it differently. Um, we, um, we started to figure out these trade routes and figure out what was being traded. With these trade routes in the possibly late 800s, all the way up to the 1300s, these were known by the Vikings. They would have been then later the Norse and then onto the Templars. So once you establish trade, you establish trade routes, you, you establish known ways of contact. Yeah, it's, uh, I think I'll, I, I would sway that way, weighing myself for uh, trade. I mean, he said it's uh, just trek and half coming over back then. Uh, I could imagine it would once have been an easy journey from. Yeah. So as far so, as as far as connecting Wisconsin to this, there is a particular artifact I just found this week. It's going to take a little more research. Um, the archaeologists that uncovered it couldn't define it. They went to an expert in Michigan who said it looked Inuit. Inuit. Inuit, yep. So that puts it up in the Thule region up in northeast Canada up towards Greenland. So there, as we, as we can confirm this item, it, it'll definitely show a trade route from Wisconsin within 50 or 60 miles of Wayne's location, a definite trade route from an archeological dig from Wisconsin up to Northeast Canada, potentially Greenland. And then we know the Norse, the Vikings into the Norse were coming to that area since the year 900 and something. <laughs> this is, uh, and, and again, in that, that hotbed of an area. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like the area, yes, the area Wayne and I are looking at is a hotbed up there. Uh, yeah. But the problem is finding something absolutely definite. Well, um, I mean, like, like what you've discovered so far, is that still um, debated? Um, because it hasn't been put out to the public yet, and we're we're kind of opening up to you today. Yeah. 
Um, once, once this is documented, whether it's a written report or if we do a video report on it or whatever, whatever direction Wayne takes this, once it's documented, then it can be anal analyzed by the community. Yeah, and then you can build on it then as well. Well, and potentially at that point, the world could help us build on it. And then it, it might become, it might become history then. Actual written history at some point, potentially. And, and we're, we're beginning this quest and all we're looking for is the truth. I love that. Yeah, that's exactly what we need in it too. We're a, it's like, like we're Sean, a, are, his, his book Questus, it is, uh, I don't think it could have come at a better time. It's, uh, it's, it's almost it's, like it, it was meant, meant to be, you know, <laughs> it's just popped up. You couldn't yeah. have planned this any better into the, uh, you know, the, the Team Templar North America saga, as I'll put it today. Yeah, I think uh, I, I fully agree with you, though, uh, Wayne, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You know. The other thing that we're working on, too, is um, our film producer and director, Alan Scott. He used to be with the BBC. All and, right. You know of Alan? No, I know the BBC, though. Okay. <laughs> and, and he was a, a, a camera guy for the BBC. And he was on a lot of their archaeological digs and assignments. But he got a little frustrated, he told me, because of the narrative that they were trying to portray. And he got so fed up with it that he just started freelancing. So he had worked uh, with Sean Williamson on some of the uh, his work, you know, at the at the castle. Uh, I got so much in my head here. Is this sometimes I get a mind blank? Was that um, Rosalind Chapel? Rosalind Chapel. Yes, thank you. I appreciate all the help I can get, General. <laughs> no problem, mate. But we're all this together. <laughs> I used to be confused, but now I'm not sure. You know. <laughs> You've probably got that much, Wayne. Um, <laughs> so time hold. So I've been talking with Alan Scott how to do. We've been discussing. He's the he's the lead guy on this, on the on the movie end. So we've been discussing how to put together a trailer or a teaser film. So we're gonna be. I'm gonna be having a meeting with him today at three o'clock our time to discuss really? this. He was he was so excited to hear what Team Templar was doing that. He's he's kind of a he, he wants it a certain way and and his, one of the biggest things well I hope you're going to tell the truth I said Alan I guarantee that's all you're going to get good yeah. bad and different I said we're gonna we're gonna lay it out there for you to decide how to film it and shoot it and portray it and we're just going to give you the best information that Ken and Sean and myself can provide you to tell a truthful story just exactly how it happened and how one led into the other. So Wayne, that brings me back to something I just remembered about a year ago. One of our first conversations, okay. one of our first conversations when you were explaining to me your, your situation up there with the site, 
And one of the ways you explained that to me was, I have this site up here, and when when I get to the point of doing archaeological exploration of the area, whatever we find, I need to be able to shore that up. So I'd like to research all these subjects so that we have the information in hand when I get to explore the site. Do you remember explaining that to me? Yes, that's a part of an investigation. When you when you do a good investigation, you go you take it as back as far as you can. And then once you do that, that investigation will circle it around and come right back to your site if it's done correctly. So yeah, Ken, that was uh, quite the conversation we had as we've had in the past. That was the conversation that at which point I accepted being part of TTNA. That's brilliant. And we're, you know, and the nice thing about TTNA, uh, it's team. Everybody brings a different level of expertise. And I think a lot of it has to do with their personal lives also. Um, you, you can take a, a person who's academically very, very knowledgeable but they just have the tendency to look at things through a um, scientific view, which there's nothing wrong with. And then, but when it gets into the practical, well, why were they here in the first place? It's just like they shut down. Well, I got to look that up. If I can't read it, I, I can't figure this out. Well, that's where Ken comes into play um, quite a bit because he, he actually tries to put himself, say, in the place of that Viking explorer which is a, is a good thing to do. I'm going to go here. I'm going to look for these things. And how would I survive? How would I further myself while I was there? And what would I take? And what would I bring back? And things like that. And, and, and that's the thing that Ken, Ken brings to the table um, is to have someone to look at situations and practicality. Um, everything's a probability. Could it be true yes could it not yes but we we're, we're realistic too we're realists in the fact that even though we don't have a, a temporal or a sword in the tomb it doesn't mean that they weren't there it just means that this time we're building a case to show the high probability of all of these different facts going say from 860 through the vikings through the norse through the templars how they all interacted through this 700 year time period and then fast forward to wisconsin where this is start you, you see these templar markings across bate uh these possible three uh crosses in the tomb all of this in the totality it's starting to circle back you know that practicality that you just had mentioned wayne it reminds me of of an example of a a carving in Roslyn Chapel that you were looking into, a particular plant. Okay. And in conversation one day, I said, you know, if they did harvest a plant over here and take it back, how, how would they have transported it? And I suggested to you that they might have laid it between the pages of a folio, that it, it may have been a pressed plant. Therefore, the carver... Yes. Whoever, whoever carved the images in stone was looking at a, 
a leaf in single dimension rather than three dimensionally. Where did that lead you? Well, what it did is um, when that it's it would have been a two dimensional carving because you can see a height and depth. And um, as we looked at this certain plant, everybody considers that Roslyn Chapel. And I, I believe we talked about this a little bit uh, prior, General. Um, the, everybody said it was a aloe vera plant. Aloe vera. But um, I don't. I think you remember that conversation. And and as as we, as we looked further into it, I was um, I had discussed this with uh, Sarah Jane Goldenhand. She's an archivist for a large temple or uh, um, organization in London, and we were discussing the possibilities of the same thing, uh, pressing a plant between vellum, which that the Templars or the Vikings would have used, and you know, vellum is actually lambskin. So, and she says, oh my God, when she says, yeah, she says, that's that's right. And I said, the plant in order to be part of a, 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 a holy place like Roslyn Chapel would have to be representative of a very important person. Well, I said, what if this, what's the research I did on it? I'm no botanist, I'm far from it. I'm a pretty good weed picker though. And uh, so it led me to a rose that's only found in uh, uh, Nova Scotia, or not Nova Scotia, up in, yeah, um, in the north end of Nova Scotia. And this, this rose one laid out and pressed flat. <laughs> looks exactly the same as that one carved in Roslyn Chapel. Is it? So it's a, it I don't know. It's, it's a particular, is it a certain species of rose that way? Yes, it only grows there. It's the Sorry. only rose that, that's, that has the same leaf pattern as that carved in Roslyn Chapel. And uh, when Sarah Jane saw this, it was, so she saw this, she says, Wayne, she says, you just hit a home run. Um, and that's the things that, you know, Team Templar North America looks at. We looked at the, the most simplistic probability. It, if it, you, can, you can get into these big, long theoretical ideas of why and when, but it's always going to be the simplest things to encourage people to come here. You know, uh, walrus ivory tusks. Um, we found I found this in a saga where they they took five hundred and fifty walrus pairs of walrus tusks back to the sea in Norway to present to the king that's a as lot. tribute. Yeah, and that's that's a relationship that ties into the snouts or the nose of the walrus that were found in Kiev, Ukraine on that day, and they found Norse carvings in that same dig, which tied the Norse to that specific site, walrus ivory there. And then like Ken had mentioned the DNA testing, it goes back to the Northwestern side of Greenland in that bay. So we're lining up trade items, travel routes, um, ways to get back and forth and mainly the the main thing is why would they go there in the first place ivory was used in some of the kings as chairs in norway it was it was the most sought at sought after ivory 
in the world at that time. It was such a highly prized tra trade item. Yeah. And I believe it was right after the Black Death in Europe, that's when African ivory started to make its descent and then move northward and westward or eastward through China and those routes. Yeah, and at that point, Wayne, they were developing the trade routes with Africa. So they have the Ivory Coast in Africa, but that didn't develop until the 1400s. And at that time, they had already depleted much of the ivory supply here. I could have Exactly. 1400s. It just goes to show and say. Can you repeat that, General, please? Yeah, just saying that the date 1400s, it just goes to show uh, how far we could potentially be going back. Um, we have stuff that goes back way back, and, and we try not to spend our time on those things. We're trying to concentrate on a date from 19, or I'm sorry, from 900 forward. Right. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, out of, uh, to you, in your own opinion, Ken, out of the recent discoveries, I know they're probably all as equally as fascinating as the next. In your opinion, what's the most significant discovery you've uh, come across so far? I'm not going to share that today, General. <laughs> um, it was a good try, though, General. Good try. <laughs> If if we can keep moving forward, it'll all come out in the end. I'm but sure currently, currently there's a couple of subject matters that we're going to hold close to the vest. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you, mate. Uh, what's the try? <laughs> yeah, I I would think that that at this point, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Wayne. No, go ahead, Ken. Finish your thought. I was just going to say, at this point, I think we're sharing more with the general today than we've shared to date. Uh, I, I yeah, and, and it's a calculated risk. I admit that. And um, there is there some danger to that? Yes and no, I guess. Um, most of our stuff we're talking about is is general stuff, but we have stuff pinned down to to, to tight areas and time frames. And that's that's the stuff we'll kind of keep to ourselves right yeah. at this point. And, and, and it's not that we're trying to be um you know deceptive. It, it's it's nothing like that at all. It's just that we just want to do the best we can to be right. Yeah. And to present honest information. So when we do hold back it's not of a form of deception. It's just a form of being careful so that when we do release all of this, there's a high probability. And the only way to confirm it for sure is, is finding an artifact here in Wisconsin that was Norse. But you have these high probabilities of all these items all coming together from a certain group, a certain time period, all now and through Ken's research, this one item was found in Wisconsin, which, you know, if proven to be true, just could open the door, could be the missing link. This could open the door to more discoveries and to build a stronger case. Oh, yeah, I think we, we would much rather have it that way. 
and you just uh, not like you say not researching it properly and then it may not be what you were you what you presumed it was well this, um, this is yeah this is kind of hard general because that one particular item may or may not be yeah. but we have two other items and that's all i'm going to say about that no problem mate thank you um well it while, while you you're unable to uh, disclose as of yet they said that may change in the future but what what's what's the most enjoyable part of uh, the research that you you enjoy most Ken? um for me it's the interaction with the people i get to meet um the 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 wide variety of people some of them with theories they're trying to prove some of them searching for the truth experts in their fields um i have been introduced like today i've gotten introduced to you but i have been introduced to so many people it's been amazing oh that's good that's good it's a can uh, can Go on, mate. Did we lose him? I think he's buffered a little bit, but it's, I can I can hear you. Am I out? Wayne, do you want to start over? Um, I said uh, since Ken has, has come into TTNA, we have taken him around the world <laughs> to Scotland, to, to Norway, to, to England you know, all the way over to uh, different parts yeah. of the world. And he's able to interact now with these people and, and get their ideas and, and you know, share thoughts. Another, another interesting aspect is I find reports written in other languages. And not that I've learned the languages, but the ability to go through word by word and transcribe documents. Is oh, I yeah, I bet that is rewarding, Ken. Yes. But it's taken me down to the Middle East, Scotland, Europe, Russia, Siberia, South America. I don't think I've been to Australia yet. <laughs> no doubt you'll be there soon, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I have had people reach out to me. Uh, it's kind of funny, Ken says that I had people from New Zealand contact me. What's this with Wisconsin? You know, yeah. Uh, apparently, his family comes. His family lineage comes from um, of Scotland, and right. um, he he was so uh, amazed that that Team Templar was looking at things the way we do. And we get that uh, from a lot of uh, professional researchers. They're just, uh, there's one from France that I talk to quite regular. He does research for other researchers. So I'd like to think that he's, uh, he's pretty good at his game. <clears throat> and a couple of days ago, he, he sends me this message. He says, Wayne, he says, of all the people doing this, he says, I just can't believe that you guys are the only ones doing it in this way and finding what you're finding. 
He said, why is that? <laughs> uh, I think we're pretty lucky. You know, we have a great team. And great teams look at things differently and combine them together. When you sure. combine the experience and the talent that we have, I'd like to think that we would um, we would find great things. Yeah, I mean, it's like like you said, though. Yeah, you've you've all part of the team. You've all got like your own sort of perspective on the approach, and I think that that's what makes your team so successful. Just my opinion, like. It, it is. It's it's amazing the things we keep finding. I had I had given Wayne a scenario about three months ago. It's kind of a funny little comical story here, but if a guy found a bar of gold out in his backyard, is he going to quit his job and keep digging the backyard up and dig there the rest of his life, hoping to find more? If he finds two or three, at some point, he's not going to find any more. And I had told Wayne a couple of months back, I said, look at all of the stuff we have. I don't believe there's any more to find. And we have found three substantial things in the last two months. <laughs> incredible, isn't it? It is really is incredible. In, the, in general, the, the thing that's kind of, is, is kind of amazing to all of this a lot of people research the Templars, but they're 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 all so hung up on them um, having the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant, and they they want to dig into this side of the mountain where they say the Templars went and hid the, you know, the the Dead Sea Scrolls and the books of the Essenes and and things of that nature. And I think they just lose the most simplistic. Uh, ways to look at things and, and that's you know show the high probability of why they came and how they came and I think that's what Team Templar tries to do and and I think that's what other researchers see in, in, in our work at least yeah. that's what I hope what we portray yeah yeah I'm certain you do mate I'm certain you do um, I mean to me it's like it's like as if there's some sort of almost a prevention with um, previous people who've researched Templars. It's like you're saying, they just tend to, it's like a, almost like a dead end where there's no progression. It's just that, that's what it is. And there's no more. But it, it, with Sean, since I've met Sean and his book, Questers, uh, and your discoveries, it's just, opening that much possibilities is uh, it's crazy the thought of it all the possibilities yeah hey general can i ask you a question yes mate no problem since um you've had now um our third show with team templar north america what do you find is the most amazing thing that you think we're doing That's good on that, mate. That really is a good question. Uh, well, it, it, it's like anything. Uh, it's truth. I think we, we deserve to know the truth. And I, I personally think there's a huge misconception over Knights Templars. I don't think that uh, the portrait to be, uh, uh, quote, satanic worshippers, Baphomet and all that. Well, 
I don't think that's the case, personally. I think there's much more to it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. They're, they were greatly uh, misportrayed. And yeah, in 1808, the Pope issued it. Wasn't it nice? Yeah. And after their arrest, it wasn't too long after that, the Pope issued an order clearing them of all the false charges. And that yeah. order wasn't discovered, I think, until like 2018 or something, or 19 at the Vatican, when somebody was going through the archives and published that. Oh, it was found at the Vatican. <laughs> yeah. Just think else. of all places to hire the Vatican. <laughs> what, what other delights we got in there? Here's a here's something a little off subject. When um, you know Columbus supposedly uh, ran into Cuba, he didn't make it to North America. And then when he had came back, there was a, a painting commissioned of his travels in 1493. Well, in order to get a, a painting commissioned, you have to hire a painter. The painter has to draw his ideas up. It has to get approved by the by the people in power to see if they like it. And most likely it was the church. Well, they painted that picture. And the Pope at that time in 1493 was not a very nice guy. He was involved in a lot of shenanigans. So they got rid of him, and that portrait was hidden in his apartment at, in the, in the Vatican. It was hidden. He was a matter. It was hidden, and um, matter of fact, he, he was so bad that they sealed they sealed up his apartment, and it was only in, I believe, two thousand seventeen or eighteen they finally unsealed it and went in there. Well, they found this painting. He turned face against the wall. And so they decided to clean it. It was, you know, old. And, and upon cleaning it, in the background of the painting, you got your main structure. It shows us Christ rising out of the tomb, rising up to heaven. Yeah. Somebody must have got in there, and as a cheap shot to the Pope, he shows Christ holding a, 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 a post, and it's got the, the symbol of St. George on it. So then in the background, just above the, the tomb itself, you can see there's drawings of Native Americans and horses. Very interesting. So they always say it was the Spaniards that brought the Native, the horses to Native, uh, to the North America, or it was a Spanish ship that crashed and then these horses escaped and that's how all of these horses got to North America. Well, that's, that's just not quite true. You couldn't paint the pictures of horses unless you saw them there in order to bring it back to the Pope. And that was hidden in this prior Pope's apartment for decades, for centuries. So it's odd little things we find like that, which kind of tell a different story about the totality of this investigation. Is, um, Can you still? I'm here. I'm listening. I had never heard that one, Wayne. It's, that is proper fascinating that way. 
<laughs> Ken, I'll have to send you some pictures though when I think of Okay. You know the and, you know the list of things I need to investigate. When will I have time to get to that? No, you don't have to look into this one, Ken. Your plate's pretty I, full. I'm half kidding. Your plate's pretty full. And um, <laughs> this was actually this information was supplied to me from another researcher in Norway um, several years ago. Um, and then as I started looking at the painting, I started seeing different things, and we share this back and forth. And that's um, the fact that the Native Americans, and I was able to um, do some manipulation of the photo and changing its uh, shadows and lights. That's when the horses popped out. And this guy, in the, the worst way, wanted to join Team Templar North America, and um, uh, we just had to pass. I guess his heart just wasn't right. Well, he wanted to join the team. Yeah, I did. He supplied us with a very long theory um, yeah. from Roslyn Chapel, uh, Points of Travel. Um, he was working with another researcher here in the United States. I'm not going to mention their names. And um, no problem. Now these guys, these these guys are pretty sharp. I tell you, you know, um, they they they've been doing this for a long time, yeah. and both of them have been on Oak Island. They have been in. The, that war room and that situation talking about their theories and uh, they both had reached out to me for some reason they uh they seem to think that this old country squirrel here uh knew a little bit more than he was telling most likely uh, uh wayne you just mentioned oak island then is that oak island is in oak island what's been on this history channel yeah, yeah, that's 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 what it is. It's it's just off the, the end of Nova Scotia there, tucked in the bay there by Fundy Bay. And there's been a lot of research that's that's going on TV right now. It's that's been going on for quite a few years. Okay. I'm not gonna say I'm just gonna say I'm gonna wish them luck in their endeavors. Um Hamilton White would would tell you exactly what he thought of them. But we'll just leave that for another show. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Uh, is there meant to be some sort of treasure on Oak Island? Well, that's their great thing that they they were trying to find. Yeah. Discover. And um, well, when I had talked to some Mi'kmaq people, I was introduced to a Mi'kmaq woman, and then she went back to one of the the, the tribes. And she said this, Mohican wants to know about the Knights Templar. And she said, without even asking them hardly anything, they said, the Templars didn't go to Oak Island. You know, they went to a different island and told, told her the name. And then she said they wouldn't talk to her no more. But two of the producers actually called me from um, Oak Island and they wanted me to go on a show and, and, and tell them how, what we found about the Templars possibly being there. And um, we had quite a few phone calls and quite a few discussions, and I just had to politely refuse. Their their research and their narrative just doesn't fit ours. Fair play, mate. I I, um, I, res I totally respect that. Like you're saying, you, uh, you're quite thorough. Uh, I mean, 
getting to know you myself, I can tell you, um, you know, you you properly research things. It's not like half-hearted. You you go full on, and I think that's why um, Sean connected us. Sean is incredible. Um, yes, I think like every, it was all meant, meant to me. You know, it's like like his book quest was meant meant to be. Yeah, and everything about it is all. Um, Hey, you know, in, in, yeah, in 2018, when Sean was on his personal quest down in Chile looking for uh, remnants of the Knights Templar and everything, it was about 2018 when I found the cross pate. So, I was out the time. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't even know Sean at that time, I, I, I never even knew of a Sean Williamson. And I learned of him through another uh, researcher that I was working with, Team Templar. Yeah. And they they suggested that I reach out to Sean. And, and they said, he probably want to talk to you. He's pretty busy, but he knows a lot about Templars. Well, yeah. I guess um, we, must, we must have hit it off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like the whole book, you know, I think. Part of that book um, potentially might not have been created if it wasn't for for you and Team Templars North America. I think it's all connected. And it, is that right? You feel that way? I feel like I feel like it's all all connected. Yeah, I think uh, which is mate, that, that's a huge compliment. I, I think it's uh, it's, it's fascinating. Templars is uh, mm. like. People might think, oh, it's a bit far that, but they're like heroes to some people. Yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, we, we, we try to, to tell a, a good it's a story. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a very fascinating story in history. And we try to tell it in, in a sense that the common everyday man can understand. Um, we don't use a lot of big words and a lot of big verbiage and a lot of long explanations that would go way over my head. We we show the practical side of things of life, how they were living, what they why they were living in such a manner, to the best of our knowledge. And um, it it was a. I was talking to a guy in your neck of the neighborhoods from the Shetland Islands, and um, he had uh, he was telling me about his discoveries and sending me just unbelievable photographs of the, I think they found on one dig, they found uh, 18 or 20 bodies, all Norse. And then another dig, they I don't know how many other bodies they found. And he was just telling me the difficulties he was having getting this through academia pushed forward. And, and as his research went along, we would share ideas and, and information. And one of the things that we came across, um, I had brought this information forward that the Vikings were actually in the Crusades. And other researchers, a lot smarter than me, they just said that never happened. Don't believe that, Blarney, you know, that's just not true. Well, we had found these old documents and some of these sagas 
where it tells the name of these certain Vikings bathing in the Jordan River. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty tough, pretty hard to get away from that. And it goes on to say that how that they, after a crusade, a big battle, they were in one of the local taverns, gin mills, or our pub, and they got pretty rowdy and they got thrown out. <laughs> so a couple of them went down to the river to, I guess, the, just so they could say they'd been into the, you know, <laughs> been in the River Jordan. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not that hard to believe, Wayne. I had come across a document from another researcher. Uh, his whole paper was on trade routes to the Vikings, and it took them all the way down to the Holy Land. Really? Yeah, there were three, maybe four overland routes, and then they assume that there's one by sea. Yeah, you would, you would have thought so, wouldn't you? Well, all the way down through the Near East. So it's not too hard to believe that they would have fought in the Crusades. That's a long trip, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like they, they must yeah. have been you know, experts at, at sea as well for, for, for those journeys. You must have thought they would have been like amateurs. I mean, there is a lot of great research out there it's it's coming down to uh, the amount of time it takes to look at all of these things and see if there's any connections between A and B and C. And one of the interesting things too, the Norse, they were part of the Byzantine Guard. We're part of the war. And the Byzantine Guard, they were guarding um, the, the temple, the, the kings down there, and they were like the personal bodyguards, and it was kind of customary for the Norse, for the Vikings, well, then the Norse, to uh, their families would um, follow these lines of tradition, and yeah. one of the, the, in the Byzantine guard is, is that when that ruler would die, they would, those guards could then uh, divvy up whatever uh, monies he had as like a form of payment or maybe as a form of tribute for their for their service. Yeah, so they were looked but after them. You can, you can see that we, we, we must have been paid we, well. We try to look at a wide variety of areas, you know. That's it. It's, uh, it's what I mean. It's, it's things like this. Yeah, we're gradually learning more and more about Templars. Um, it just makes them even more fascinating. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Most of my research is personally is not about the Templars. Um, Sean has his line of research and it's totally independent of what I'm doing. So yeah. I'm not up I'm not up to date on what Sean has, but I just saw this as I was scanning through some documents. Here's a Here's a phrase or a quote from Sean Williamson. I asked this question. If you were part of the largest land-based force, an economy with a Navy, and at least contracted fleets, and you were under huge persecution, where would you venture to reset the order? 
That's a quote from Sean Williamson. I love that. <laughs> he has, uh, he's got a point on it. It's a big exactly. question. Yes, it's a huge question. <laughs> Fascinating. He's got us. He's not even here. He's got us. Uh, I don't know. Did we lose? <laughs> we oh, oh, he's okay. here. I'm here. So, I'm just. I'm just taking this all in. Yep. Yes. That's okay. I just. I just thought if we lost you, I should continue jabbering. Absolutely. Jabber away. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> you know, in general, we really appreciate this format that you provided for Team Templar North America. And, and we certainly hope that it, it it brings some recognition to the platforms of the information that you're able to supply. Awesome. And in a country that is all Templar related, you can trip over a Templar headstone, you know, walking down the sidewalk. Um, I, I hope they look at it from a different point of view now. Um, yeah, I think that yeah. Team Templar brings to the table. Yeah, I think that misconception can uh, yeah, pass to put put aside because it's you know I think as uh, as things progress with your team Team Templars, I think, and then we we'll get to know more truth. We'll gradually find out bit by bit the truth, and that's what that's what we're all. Uh, what we're all after at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we can put all of this information together and yes, and, and present it to the world and let them decide what the truth is. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, before before you both go, gentlemen, uh, firstly, thank you very much. That was a, a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd love to speak to you again soon, uh, but would you like to let everyone know where they can get hold of you both, please? Uh, me, I hide out pretty good. So you can contact me through the TTNA website, uh, Facebook page, or you'll have to contact Wayne. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add the, the same links as what I've done with the other episodes, Wayne, if you like the Team Templars, put your website in there. You can do that, yes. Brilliant, no problem. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, people are asking for um, the radio show, too, that we did with Sean. Um, so if you ever get that um, out of the box and can send me the link, I'd like to post that. People love hearing your show and uh, all things Templar-related. No problem. I'll, and, uh, um, well, I've just got a thought. Add me intro tracks to this, uh, Wayne, and I'll send them all over because i was going to release the the last one we did and then this one straight after but i'll just send them you all at one if you want to yeah whenever you get a chance to you know it was, it was really ha great having ken here today you get a little yes. deeper look in the, in the in the team templar and just the way each uh each each team member looks yeah. at things here yeah, we're looking and, uh, yeah, both of you Here's a subject if you want to edit this in yet. Okay, mate. So the, the seat of the bishopship in Greenland started before the year 1112. 
indefinitely went until 1365. That's 250 years that they were traveling to Greenland. And we have documents that show that as many as 13 times in a year, but sometimes not at all. But even if one was to average four trips a year, that's almost a thousand trips to Greenland in that time period. And here, here's my question for your viewers or for your listeners. Isn't it amazing that they traveled 2,000 nautical miles as often as 13 times a year for over 250 years? In all that travel and interaction with the local Inuit, somehow they never traveled the extra 200 nautical miles to explore North America. Yes, it's like uh, it's like almost as if they were still it was told not to go there. Well, it's a question I have, and if I can find the answer to it, I will. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one, though. Right? I love it. Maybe they just maybe they just didn't want to pay the toll there coming around uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what? Right before we go, there's one thing. What maybe uh, it didn't uh, go that far up because of I don't know, like you don't know what what mythology was told back then. Do you like uh, like for example, like we've got Sasquatch, which is pretty big through a lot of the the native different tribes. Uh, was it is it relatively uh, big amongst the Mohican uh, way, like Sasquatch. Yeah, a lot of the Indian tribes have different names for Sasquatch right. in, in, in different beliefs. I've um, Real quickly, I came across this one tribe where supposedly now, from what was written, this was written by, this wasn't written by the woman herself, this is written by the accounts of the town people where the Sasquatch used to visit her. And she would prepare food for it. And the, these townspeople would keep telling her, you know, they'll, they'll keep feeding that thing. It's going to be dangerous. Well, one time she apparently didn't show up to town and they went to their, um, their house where her and another person were living and they found them both dead. Um, they did track this creature down and then they killed it. And, but, then the story just kind of goes cold there. They don't tell what they did with the body of the creature. They just tell that they, they buried it. But there is some details about this woman, her interactions with this creature known as Bigfoot and how she was able to befriend it for a long time. And apparently maybe was too scared of it to chase it away or just respected it or had some type of um, interaction where there was a mutual agreement. We don't know. It's a mystery. And um, But this has been told through different Native Americans tribes all the way from the Northwest out in Washington, their interactions with Sasquatch, Bigfoot, the Yeti, the Abominable, the Snowman, whatever name you want to give to that subject. <clears throat> In, in a lot of these legends, they go all the way to Nepal, India. So there's quite a quite a few of these um, theories and legends mentioned. And um, I'm not much of a ghost hunter, 
So we're, we're uh, Team Templar North America is sticking pretty much to, to what we're on right now. But yeah. I just thought I'd add that. Yeah, another possible answer to your to your question, General. Um, the the initial interaction between the Vikings and the and the Thule or Inuit, Wayne can speak more to this, but but the initial interactions weren't good. So for the the beginning period of time there, they maybe didn't interact right away. Yeah, yeah, it's just like some sort of conflict. Maybe it's because they weren't yeah wayne was telling me a, a particular story out of the saga oh yeah but is that story with the relationship about, about the arrow oh yeah it was the, the story of eric the red um i think the, the father of leaf erickson yeah he was uh in, in the Hudson Bay area, that's all I'm going to be specific on. That's a pretty big area. And he took an arrow. And while he was on the ship, this was written while he was dying. He says, I pulled this arrow from my stomach and I could see my fat. He says, I don't think I have much longer to live. And I shared this with the French researcher because he was convinced that Native Americans didn't use arrowheads. They used spear points. Well, I think this saga kind of um, put that to rest. Native Americans were using arrowheads for a long time. That's very interesting. And different other types of instruments for, uh, you know, taking taking game and uh, whales and seals and and walruses. Yeah. Do you know, I want to ask but, you something, uh, Wayne, about... Uh, go ahead. You know, the... The tomahawk axes, they look, they look very similar to like a Viking axe. Do you think that there's some sort of... Right. Well, do we think one's um, from the other? Or... Do, you, do you think that the, the Vikings influenced the Native Americans to make the tomahawk axe? Or vice versa. Yeah, or yeah. maybe the... You know, that's... You know, that's what um, this other researcher from France and I discussed. I said, you know, everybody gives the the, the opinion or insinuates that everything that the Native Americans learned eventually came through European uh, teachings and or European wisdom. And I said, well, now here you've got a saga where Eric the Red describes how he was shot in the stomach by an arrow. I said, maybe it wasn't that the Europeans were bringing this knowledge, maybe they were receiving knowledge from the Inuit in different tribes of that region of the advances that they had. Yeah. And since the Native Americans didn't have the written word like Europeans did, you only get a one-sided account. Yeah. yeah. means it. it really is. Uh, well, gentlemen, um, thank you very much. Absolutely fascinating conversation. Yeah, again. Uh, well, thank, thank you. you. Yep, thank you, General. Not a problem, mate. Um, I look forward to speaking to you both again soon. Um, thank you very much. That was brilliant. Um, I'm going to start recording now, gentlemen. Yes, sir.
this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.